Happy 2022, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 14 of the Diamond Duo Podcast, brought to you by two guys whose only New Year's resolution for Major League Baseball is a new commissioner and an end to the lockout, but we can only ask for so much. I'm Tony Puglisi, joined by my co-host and co-producer for the show, Tom Bauer, here to bring you all things baseball, what little of it there presently is, and to talk about most things off-season, previewing, and transparent as possible, picking up scraps of news that we could find, because the lockout marches on, ladies and gentlemen. What can you do? But welcome! Welcome again! It's a new year, brand new page, brand new slate, hopefully baseball takes that to heart in the near future, but... We finally got through 2021, Tom. It was a crazy year for baseball. I think in most ways a crazy good year, but it'll be interesting to see the road ahead. Yeah, you know, it was a year full of frustration going into it with this residual Astros hate and then finally just breathing in and exerting it all out, especially if you're like me. And I don't know if you were there, Tony, for this day. Uh, when we went to Yankee Stadium, when the Houston Astros were first coming to town, and the crowd of me plus 10,000 people and the group of friends that I went with booed the absolute f***ing sh- out of the Astros in a victorious Yankee game. The best game I think I've ever been to in New Yankee Stadium. So we started off the year kind of low. It got better. Baseball was back in a way. And now we're kind of at rock bottom square one where we were post-pandemic, uh, technically in the like starting phases of the pandemic of last year in 2021 when baseball was kind of in its own lockout, but that was more for health and safety purposes. But now it's because of economics and other bull. So starting off the new year, kind of choppy, but you know what? You got to start somewhere and hopefully it's with a new commissioner. Yes, I know we're beating a dead horse once again, but you know what? We don't care. We want to see a new commissioner sometime soon because that's probably the only way we're going to not. I don't even know where I'm going with this. Tony, just take it away, whatever you want to say. <laughs> I was just going to say, you're kind of right. We're starting off this year almost the same way we were going to start the 2020 season in limbo. Uh, obviously, very different circumstances. One was very much health and safety reasons. This one is uh, avarice-driven, if you will. Very, very much greed. Very much, uh, very much greed. Great English. We're, off, we're both off to a ball and start today, just like last <laughs> week. But no, in retrospect, we're not going to do a whole big year-end recap of the season because we did that uh, twice after the regular season and after the World Series. Um, If you want to see our whole big breakdown of the 2021 Major League Baseball season, we highly recommend you go watch either of those. Uh, They're just called End of the Regular Season Extravaganza and then uh, Off-Season Recap or something like that, or Off-Season Preview, rather. But no, just breezing through it. Shohei Otani's great season. You had awesome seasons from Vlad Guerrero Jr., Cedric Mullins, Matt Olson, Jacob DeGrom before he got shut down. Trust me, we saw a lot of things in 2021 baseball that I think at the time we were taking advantage of. But looking big picture now, this is one of the better years for baseball, just sans the lockout, (laughs) that we've had from a viewership perspective in a long time. I mean, even with the whole sticky stuff crap, that was definitely a black eye on the league. 
we at least got Max Scherzer flipping out on the umpires and Joe Girardi, so that was at least humorous enough because I, I could watch that clip all day. You know, I even think the MLB stepped up their marketing game in 2021, of course, until we found out that they were using two separate baseballs for national and more local games, i.e. the Field of Dreams game, where there was probably what felt like 50 home runs going into the cornfields of Iowa, but... With that and other things going on, sans a moved all-star game that kind of had a uh, bad marketing situation kind of go on, marketing, I think, did take a rise in 2021, and hopefully they'll continue to rise in 2022. But post-lockout and post-allegations, it'll probably take a backseat, and it'll probably go down, unless the MLB can think of some good way to draw back in that crowd and make them completely forget the lockout ever happened. That's a good marketing tactic that big-name corporations do all the time, and I'm sure the Major League Baseball certainly won't, or will, wink, uh, take advantage of those strategies. But that being said, we're still in the offseason. We don't have a lot to talk about. But there is news nonetheless. There absolutely is. But before we get into that news, quick disclaimer like always, we have sat down to record on New Year's Eve. If anything happens after de December 31st, I normally say the wrong month, and when this video... Uh, podcast god damn it this podcast <laughs> eventually goes up that's because it uh we didn't report on it because it happened after we recorded please go follow us on social media we are on twitter at diamond duo pod we are on instagram the diamond duo podcast and of course we are now on apple podcast in addition to spotify and five other platforms you can consume the Diamond Duo podcast from wherever you are, however you'd like. I came up with that on the spot, man. I should market for MLB. Probably be better from, <laughs> probably be better than what they're doing right now. But nevertheless, that is our quick disclaimer. So that all being said, that all out of the way, let's get into that piece of news that Tom was alluding to because all we've got on our plate as of now is the retiring of Kyle Seeger. This actually happened yesterday, yesterday being December 30th. It was announced by his wife on Twitter. She posted his official statement. She relayed it to the baseball community, and it allowed us a chance to reflect on the great career Kyle Seeger has had. He's only 34 at the moment, so he's not retiring as late as many people would have imagined. I, for one, saw him going to a team like maybe the Dodgers, you know, in the wake of his brother Corey's departure for Texas. Or maybe the Yankees overspend on another home run happy, on base starved power lefty bat. But no, Seeger saw to it that this was the end of the road, this was the end of his career, and he decided to hang him up, which I respect that a ton, much like Buster Posey did uh, not too long ago. Yeah, of course, disgraced baseball executive whose name I have echoed many a time in the past, Kevin Mather. If I'm saying it wrong, then too bad. He's disgraced. I don't care about him anymore. Remember his whole big tirade that got him fired? Well, he said that this would be Kyle Seeger's last year in a Mariner's uniform, because if anybody knew Kyle Seeger, he'd probably be a Seattle Mariner for life, and clearly he is. Drafted by them back in 2009, the third round, out of uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and has been playing since uh, 2011 with the big league squad. Long rumored this would be his last year. It was his last year. He got a very nice send-off in the final home game. Scott Service came out into the field, let him take his natural third base position, 
and they got a big round of applause by the Mariners faithful that had come out to see hopefully a playoff team uh, clinch a spot in the playoffs. Unfortunately, they didn't. Kyle Seager's career, though. Looking at his career numbers, Tony, Corey's brother, as it lists him on Baseball Reference, put up a pretty good career with some respectable numbers for only 11 seasons. I mean, let's just go over them right now. I mean, where do you want to start? You know what's funny? I was thinking about working in that Corey's brother joke in there. I'm very glad you did. (laughs) But in terms of the man's numbers and production... There's plenty of places you could start because Kyle Seeger, you know, throughout his career, he never gave off superstar vibes. But when you look at the numbers, you realize he contributed way, way more than folks outside of Seattle, I think, give him credit for. Finished with two top 20 MVP finishes, actually won a gold glove and was an all-star in the same year, that being 2014. Above average hitter, damn near every year he was in the league. His best year by OPS Plus was actually in 2016 when he was 33% better than the average ball player. Known for his slugging power, usually gap-to-gap or over the fence, finishes his career with a whopping 242 home runs and 807 RBI. Very good, very respectable. And interesting to note about those two figures, Kyle Seager in 2021 put up career highs in home runs and RBI. Yeah, 35 home runs and 101 RBI. This is the first and only time in his career he actually eclipsed 100 RBI. And only the second time, I believe. Yeah, second time he's even hit 30. Very good way to go out. I made fun of his on-base percentage, you know, throughout the season, back when we were curious as to whether or not the Mariners were actually going to remain competitive into September or not, but now's not the time to be making fun, because yes, he had a paltry 8, uh, 8, 285 OBP, which definitely brought down his overall value. Here in 2021, he only had 2 war, which even then is by no means bad. No. Kyle Seager isn't going to go down as a Hall of Famer. He's not going to be the best third baseman ever. But when you think of the third baseman that defined a generation of Mariners fans, of baseball fans just in the 2010s, Kyle Seager is probably going to be one of those first names that comes to your mind. He was very underappreciated in what he was able to do in Seattle. Trust me, just existing on some of those Seattle's teams is is worthy of commendation enough. God, some of those teams were terrible. But no, very good player all around. Just more on a personal note, I remember my probably first major Kyle Seeger memory is when he and Jared Weaver squared off, I believe, in Los Angeles. And there is a hilarious story that I th- believe was told by Jared himself, I believe, to Barstool Sports, where... They were kind of squaring off at the plate. Kyle was young in the league at the time. Jared was a much-established veteran pitcher at the time who could whistle in a fastball of 82 miles an hour at batters. And then Kyle Seager kept calling time in the batter's box. I'm pretty sure he grabbed his crotch at one point, did it very exuberantly. And then he drilled him promptly in the back with an 82-mile-per-hour fastball or something along those lines. And that started a whole thing. Jared was ejected, and Jared, boy, did he ever chirp at Kyle Seeger. That was probably my first memory of him, and I did not like him at first because I was a big Jared Weaver fan when he was with the Angels and had his Cy Young-type prime. So I initially had hate for Kyle Seeger. That hate has kind of cooled off over the years because I've seen what he could do as a leader in Seattle, a very good ambassador for the franchise, unfortunately kind of going off on the wrong foot, or at least was. Uh, If Kevin Mather was still in charge of the team at this rate, but luckily he's not, thank God, he got to go off gracefully. Again, not Hall of Fame, Hall of, I would say, good, maybe very good in some regards, like his prime years. 
Uh, certainly not Hall of Fame. Maybe a Seattle Mariners Hall of Famer at some point in retirement. And I'm going to ask you, Tony, if you have any personal Kyle Seeger memories that you would like to share. You know, I'm so happy again you brought up that Jared Weaver story. That wasn't my first memory of Kyle Seeger because truth be told, I didn't, I don't remember that story until it was retold on Barstool Sports. That was the first time I heard about that and I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> Because as someone who already knew Kyle Seeger and respected him, like you said, for being kind of the bonafide face of the Mariners, face of the franchise, maybe outside of Felix Hernandez uh, throughout the 2010s, you could tell just by the way players talk about him. I mean, J.P. Crawford broke down into tears in the interview following Kyle's last game as a Mariner. Kyle Seeger will definitely be missed around the baseball community, around the Seattle community, and for folks like Tom and I who grew up as uh, young boys and teenagers uh, watching him. Definitely not going to be the same game, particularly in Seattle, without him. Congrats on a great career, Kyle Seeger. Alright, so now that we have our extensive and very long news segment out of the way, and that was obviously sarcasm because that's our only news story, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> say a prayer, say a rosary, that MLB owners' hearts grow to three times their normal size, and this stupid <laughs> lockout ends faster than it normally would i oh, i wish we had like a christmas themed episode that would actually be a really good line for that but <laughs> it's could, going in this one so i'm happy we could have done a whole grinch backstory on rob manfred and then have his like <laughs> heart grow three sizes that would have been so great we could have done that but maybe next year if he's still commissioner we can do that all the who's would be the the, the players <laughs> <laughs> and the what should I call it? The mayor of Whoville's like Tony Clark, the head of the Players Association. <laughs> all right. Oh, we have all the pieces. Let's do an impromptu cringe parody. No, I'm kidding. No, Christmas is past. <laughs> that shit. We're, we're it's the new year. Let's talk about some <laughs> new things that we have yet to do on this podcast. That is correct. And one of those new things we've alluded to it a couple times. We're finally dedicating an episode to it, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. We're talking about MLB mascots. No, I'm kidding. It's the Hall of Fame. <laughs> although, although we will be doing something on MLB mascots, hopefully at some point. We wanted to do something for Halloween, but there was still a season going on. So well, MLB mascots will have their own dedicated episode slash segment at some point in the near <laughs> Not even near future. I'm not going to guarantee that. Just in the future. But uh, that's on the back burner for now. Yeah, a little bit of an inside joke there. Tom and I have been planning to do something with mascots for a while. Like he said, we're not going to promise anything soon, but we think it'll be really funny. So... We'll see how that goes down. Nevertheless, Tom, let's talk about every baseball fan's favoriteest thing about the game. Which, to be fair, you compare this to the lockout, and I don't even think it's that bad. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. I bitch and moan about it, and I'm going to throughout the episode, but it's serenading compared to the lockout. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about the 2022 Major League Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. Now, there's plenty of ways we can go about this. We actually do have another segment about this that we kind of want to explore after the results have happened. Uh, Tom and I have talked about this before. We're going to go through with that uh, at the end of January. Mm -hmm. So look forward to that. This isn't going to be the last bit of Hall of Fame content. But for this episode right here, we just wanted to take a moment to really break everything down. You know, go through the ballot, talk about some big names, talk about some names that maybe aren't getting a ton of love. And at the end of the day, we're going to build our own mock ballots. Now, again, emphasis on mock. Tom and I are not MLB journalists. 
We do not have an official vote. These are not some, like, big official, like, hey, we're revealing our ballots today. Uh, Ryan Therado, is that how you say his name? Thibodeau. Thibodeau, I apologize, Ryan. This isn't going to show up on Thibodeau's Twitter because we do not have official votes. This is just a mock ballot of who we would vote for had we possessed votes. But like I said, we'll get to that later. For the time being, let's intro this ballot. So, let's get started just by introducing you to the gentleman on the ballot. So, starting things off, we've got Bobby Abreu. It's his third year on the ballot, and he peaked at about 8.7%. Uh, we've got a pretty big name after him, Barry Bonds, in his 10th and final year on the ballot. Definitely a name that most folks are circling. We've got Mark Burley in his second year. Roger Clemens, another big name, also in his 10th year. Got a few newcomers after him, Carl Crawford and Prince Fielder. Todd Helton is also on this ballot in his fourth year of eligibility. Another newcomer in Ryan Howard. A second year selection in Tim Hudson. Uh, another second year, I believe he's second year, in Tory Hunter. Uh, yes, he, it is his second year. Andrew Jones is on the ballot. It is his fifth year of eligibility. Jeff Kent, his ninth year on the ballot. He's actually almost done. Tim Lincecum and Justin Morneau, who are also new. And Joe Nathan, reliever known for playing on the Twins, Giants, and Rangers, among others, is also on his first year of eligibility. Tom, why would you, or why would you, <laughs> Tom, why don't you pick it up from here? Sure, why not? So also on his first year of eligibility, and possibly the only surefire Hall of Famer this year, David Ortiz is on the ballot for his first appearance, maybe his only appearance. We'll find out later in the episode where he stands. Also in his first year is former Red Sox Jonathan Papelbon. Fourth year for Andy Pettit. Manny Ramirez has felt like he's been on this ballot as long as Clemens and Bonds, but he's actually in his sixth year. Fan favorite, notoriously a fan favorite wherever he goes, Alex Rodriguez in his first year on the ballot. Next up is Scott Rowland. He's in his fifth year. Jimmy Rollins is in his first year. Someone else on his last year on the ballot is Kurt Schilling. Of course, he might not get on the ballot. He alluded last year that he'd rather face a committee and get on that way, but more on that later. Gary Sheffield in his eighth year. Also in his last year is Sammy Sosa, who definitely won't get in, but always has a presentable case. Mark Teixeira, a fan favorite of me and Tony's back in the day in his first year. Omar Vizquel, whose numbers just keep plummeting this year in his fifth year of eligibility. And fan favorite Billy Wagner in his seventh year of eligibility. And many great men on this list, some steroid users, allegedly, some were suspended for steroid use, are on this list. But ultimately, this ballot's really tainted, and kind of this whole, like, next generation of voting in voters, they're going to have this kind of tainted image on them, Tony. And that's just because of this whole steroid play back in the late 80s, the 90s, and eh, I guess the early 2000s a little bit, too. Absolutely. This is going to be a very pivotal year. For Hall of Fame voting because guys like Bonds and Clemens are in their last year of eligibility, at least on this ballot. David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez are on here for the first time, and as we'll go into a bit later, and this is something that Tom and I uh, have learned over the years, steroid use is not necessarily a blanket term. Like I used to think, oh, he did steroids, doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, uh-uh, no way. We'll go into that a bit later in terms of why, you know, a Barry Bonds is different from a Manny Ramirez or an Alex Rodriguez, or how a David Ortiz and Sammy Sosa are actually more alike than you might 
think, and why Jake Peavy is even on the ballot to begin with. No, I'm kidding. Jake Peavy did not take steroids. At least I don't think. So yeah, absolutely going to be a bit of a momentous year, especially considering next year. Really, the big name that's coming on the ballot is Carlos Beltran, and <laughs> not much else. <laughs> Not much else. I mean, that's no disrespect to guys like K-Rod, who's going to be on the ballot next year. But this year, there's a noticeable influx of recognizable names. Suffice to say, the ballot this year is stacked, if you couldn't tell. You grew up watching baseball uh, when Tom and I did. You'll notice, like, holy sh**, like, A-Rod's on here now. Mark Teixeira, David Ortiz. Oh my god, I'm old. <laughs> so, before we get into some of the new guys... Let's talk about some of the older names on this ballot and talk about the potential cases for some of them and how their case isn't just open shut. They did steroids. They can't be in. You know, Tom, why don't you kick things off with that? Because I know you're a proponent of Bonds and Clemens for the Hall. Yeah, I most certainly am. And my stance was much like Tony's originally. You're, you did steroids? Eh, sorry. You get a no from me, dog. No. I'm not like that Randy Jackson. That's a no from me, dog, anymore. On steroid users... I've said this before, I'll say it again, baseball embraced steroids for as long as it wasn't punishable. And what I mean is that Bud League and company just slid it under the rug because baseball was kind of at this lowly phase, especially when their lockdown happened in 1994. And remember that whole slugfest between Mark McGuire and one of the names on this ballot, Sammy Sosa? Well, guess what? Both assumed steroid users... Uh, if you haven't seen that ESPN uh, documentary on that uh, whole home run chase, go watch that. Very entertaining. Baseball embraced steroids, and I mean, at least half the league was probably using it at some point in baseball's history, especially the late 80s, again, throughout the 90s, and maybe into the 2000s as well. But in my stance, as long as you weren't suspended for steroids, for the most part, I will say you will get my vote. And Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens... I don't know how much throughout their career they were using steroids. If it was for the entirety, then it's wholly tainted. If it's only for some of it, then some of it's tainted. But without a doubt, these are two of the best talents that have ever entered and exited the league in baseball's history. So they're automatic yeses for me. I'm not going to have to go through their stat lines because they're all-time greats. We all know it. So that's Bonds and Clemens, that whole debacle. Tony, do you want to tackle any of the other big names that you see in here? Uh, anybody else on their 10th year, such as a Sammy Sosa and a Kurt Schilling? Or do you want to go in a different direction? So I wanted to wrap up the older names on this list, i.e. Sosa and Schilling, both of whom are in their final year. The one thing I'll add to that steroid conversation, and Tom alluded to it with former commissioner Bud Selig, here's my stance on it. It will be one sentence long. Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame. All holds barred. <laughs> like, if Selig was not in the Hall of Fame, like the guy who profiteered and saw viewership increases and monetary increases because of the steroid era, if he was not enshrined in Cooperstown, I'd be a little more weary about Bonds and Clemens because, like, my case against them has been steroids, but more so than that, they shattered some of baseball's most hallowed records through steroids. Like, Bonds notoriously took steroids towards the end of his career, helping him break Hank Aaron's home run record. In many people's eyes, including mine to an extent still, it's still Henry Aaron that's got that crown. He's the one who did it organically. He didn't need help to do it. Bonds needed that help. Do I think he could have done it without steroids? 
Possibly, yes, but this is the reality where he did take steroids, so there's no use in debating, oh, could he? Couldn't he have? He did. That's the end of the story. It might reflect my ballot later, but we'll see. So either way, the two names who are also in their 10th year, Sammy Sosa is pretty open and shut, not gonna get in. He's never eclipsed, I think, even 40% on a ballot before. I'm gonna double check that right now. Oh my god, he's not even eclipsed 20. Oh, uh, yikes. That's, wow. That's, wow. That's a lot less. That's a lot less than I thought he had. So, Sammy Sosa, the baggage with him is obviously steroid allegations, but when you look at the actual accusation, it is identical to a person that Tom called earlier the only quote-unquote slam-dunk candidate. And in many cases, he's right. That's David Ortiz. Now, David Ortiz's steroid accusations were just a New York Times article that claimed he failed a voluntary... PED test. Now, we don't know what PED he potentially tested positive for. He never came out and said, oh yeah, guys, I did it. And he was never suspended for it. Sosa is in the exact same boat. He was not named in the Mitchell Mitchell report. He was never suspended by MLB. He was just in this leaked New York Times article that kind of just pointed a finger at him and said, he did it. He's the bad guy. So when you look on paper, Sosa has the exact same Hall of Fame eligibility as David Ortiz, someone who never got caught, but it's kind of understood that, yeah, he probably did it. I'll get to Ortiz when I get to him, but Sosa, I think it's pretty obvious he was juicing, but the league never proved it. So in actuality, I think Sosa's actually being undersold quite a bit for only having 17% of the vote max on his slate. It doesn't mean much. He's not going to get in. He is gaining, I think he might be gaining some traction, but by no means is it going to be enough to eclipse 75%, which if you didn't know, 75% is what you need to attain access to the Hall of Fame on this particular ballot. So he's not going to get that. Now, Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling is an interesting man to talk about. And before we do, we're just going to front with this. It won't take long. We don't give a shit about politics on this show. Just straight up. I mean, we have our beliefs, but the fact of the matter is this is a baseball podcast. Exactly. And whether or not you agree with Kurt Schilling, whether or not you disagree with Kurt Schilling, we're not here to judge his character. And let's be honest here. If we were here to judge character, Barry Bonds has multiple accounts of domestic violence by multiple partners. And Roger Clemens, I re- recently found out, was alleged to have a relationship with a minor. Both are quite worse than Kurt Schilling. Not really defending Kurt Schilling, but just putting them together, it's like, ugh. Not not the best people. This is not the hall of morality. If it was, damn near no one would get in. (laughs) So, all that being said, we're not here to judge Kurt Schilling based on his character. We're here to judge him based on his baseball abilities. And if we are, he should have been in the Hall of Fame five to four ballots ago. Kurt Schilling in his career has a career 127 ERA plus, a 346 ERA, a tiny bit high for a Hall of Famer, but nothing egregious. He has over 3,000 strikeouts. Uh, He actually has 22 saves, I never knew that. Uh, But more so than that, he is one of the best pitchers in the 1990s. Kurt Schilling has a place in baseball lore for being, you know, the co-MVP with Randy Johnson and the guy who threw the bloody sock game for the Boston Red Sox. Now, the reason I say he doesn't get in is Schilling said last year, hey, don't vote for me. (laughs) Schilling straight up said, hey, if I don't get in on this ballot, I don't care. I want this to go to another committee, one made up of former players and coaches, etc. And I'd be more honored if I was enshrined by them. Which, if we're judging by past experiences, if Schilling doesn't get in this year and he goes to a players committee, he's gonna get in. 
And I think his former teammates and peers who would be on that committee are going to be uh, generous to him. Those are my thoughts. Tom, would you like to say anything about either Sosa or Kurt Schilling? I mean, I think you summed it up pretty nicely. Uh, Yeah, Sosa won't get in. Schilling would get my vote as well. Sosa, well, I'll have to explain myself a little bit later about that. Let's just say it's in the majority of other voters for the most part. So now I think it's time that we can look at smaller cases of guys that probably will never get in. But you never know. Harold Baines got in, and nobody expected to see that ever happening. You shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Sorry, Harold, but that's just my opinion of you. You don't have the exactly Hall of Fame caliber that many other guys possess. But I think his case, if anything, helps David Ortiz's case, because now we're just pretty much saying designated hitters, it it doesn't mean about their position. If they're great, then they should get in. But now, smaller guys that we can look at. I'm trying to think of where to start, Tony, because I think we could probably... I could probably say, I want to select this guy to talk about, and then we'd probably be on the same queue. I'll start alphabetically, Bobby Abreu. He's actually gotten a lot of traction from what I've seen this year. I'm actually, now I regret saying that statement because the sheet I'm looking at says he's got a net plus minus among returning voters of minus one. So that's great. But early on, Abreu was actually getting a lot more support from voters in his third year. And it's not hard to see why when you pull up Bobby Abreu's numbers. 60.2 career war. He has nearly 2,500 hits, 288 home runs, a 291 batting average, damn near 1,400 RBIs. He's got exactly 400 stolen bases in his career. A 395 OBP, pretty damn good OPS plus of 128. I don't think that's too bad. Tony's Mr. OPS plus, so he can tell me if I'm if that's pretty good or pretty bad. The only downside against Bobby Abreu, only a two-time All-Star, a one-time Gold Glove winner, only won the Silver Slugger once. He was a home run derby champion, if that matters to you at all. Just a very damn good player. The problem is, I don't think he ever defined a generation of outfielders, you know? He was playing on the crappy Philadelphia teams of the 1990s and early 2000s before he got traded to New York, and then unfortunately he was traded the year they won the World Series. He went to to Los Angeles and played for the Angels, and then he rounded out his career with the Dodgers and the Mets. Again, not a generational guy that you look back on that generation. You could probably tell the story without Bobby Abreu, but statistically, he's still very, very great, and also a guy that was never accused of doing steroids, mind you, in an era where those numbers are kind of jacked up. Well, maybe for what there was in the steroid era, he could be a surefire Hall of Famer. Arguably. Probably not. But he possibly could. What do you think about Bobby Abreu, Tony? So Bobby Abreu has a special place in my heart. Because when I started watching New York Yankees baseball, there were three names I knew. Just like that. They were Derek Jeter, they were Jason Giambi, and Bobby Abreu. For some reason, I didn't pick up Mariano Rivera until very later. I think I would fall asleep before the games were over, but sue me, I was like five. (laughs) Bobby Abreu was one of my favorite players growing up, and I didn't know why. Well, I like to think that five- to six-year-old Tony was a sabermetrician back then because Bobby Abreu, low-key, like you said, Tom, really good player. Something I wanted to add on, Bobby Abreu could walk. This man walked like you wouldn't believe. From 2001 to 2008, I just selected a random time frame from when he was playing with the Phillies and the Yankees. He walked almost 850 times. This man got on base like it was nobody's business. His career OBP was almost 400. I'm going to quote Foolish Baseball a little bit here. 
he has a video on the Hall of Fame where he described Bobby Abreu as not having the quote-unquote Hall of Fame vibes. It's pretty much what you said, Tom. He didn't define a generation of outfielders. Guy put up great numbers his entire career. One of the few guys on this ballot I would call a sabermetric darling, quote-unquote. And low-key could be a really good pick for the Hall of Fame. You might see me making the case for him later on in this episode, but now, one guy I want to talk about that I don't hear a ton of people going on about, because trust me, Tom and I could literally fill an episode just about Scott Rowland, just about Todd Helton, just about Andrew Jones. Trust me, we're talking about all three of those guys later on, I assure you of that. But one guy I want to shine a bit of a spotlight on is Jeff Kent. I had him pulled up on Baseball Reference, I swear to God. (laughs) I was going to take him next. Now I'm going to have to pivot and go to my backup plan. God damn it. I mean, if anything, you already have it pulled up. You could already add what you want to add once I'm done talking about it. Yeah, go for it. Why not? So So Jeff Kent, if you don't remember, was one of the key cogs in that San Francisco Giants machine that was helmed by Barry Bonds and managed by my favorite manager of all time, uh, Dusty Baker. But Jeff Kent, even though he won an MVP, even though he was a five-time All-Star, he still gets shafted by a lot of voters. I mean, it's his ninth year on the ballot, and he's not particularly close to getting in. That's how I basically judge it anyway. But Jeff Kent, the way I describe him, he was an outlier of his position. He was a primary second baseman, played there almost his entire career, won an MVP in uh, the year 2000, and he leads all second basemen all-time in home runs with uh, 377, and I believe he is 7th in hits, if memory serves. I know he's in the top 10. The other guys on that list who are ahead of him, all Hall of Famers, guys like Joe Morgan, Nap Lajway, uh, Rogers Hornsby, Eddie Collins. Jeff Kent is in really good company for a second baseman. And a 55.5 war doesn't exactly blow you away. You know, he's not the greatest second baseman who ever lived, who all second basemen should strive to replicate, but he had a great career. So Jeff Kent, I think more Hall of Fame vibes, quote-unquote, than Bobby Abreu. Was on a pennant-winning team, slugged a ton of home runs, got on base. Really good player. I'm surprised Jeff Kent isn't getting more uh, traction, especially considering he doesn't have too many clouds of allegations and controversy around him, if any at all. Yeah, I'm actually doing my research now on Jeff Kent, and first off, last year was his highest vote total ever, 32.4% of the 2021 ballot, but he was mentioned in the Mitchell report, but for being an outspoken player against steroids. Just for example, he went after Andy Pettit for using his excuse of using steroids to help aid and recover from an injury. Um, The writers might not like him because he wasn't necessarily a media darling with some guys. He was very blunt and honest. I think he, according to one guy on Quora.com, I don't know if this is real or not, uh, he was bitching and moaning about Vince Scully at some point in his Dodger career that apparently didn't win him many friends in the Dodger clubhouse. He had a love-hate relationship with Barry Bonds. Uh, Again, blunt to the media. Somehow won San Francisco Media's Good Guy Award in 2001, supposedly. Um, but that bluntness could be why baseball writers themselves might not necessarily want to vote for him now is because he wasn't maybe this stand-up guy, much like a Derek Jeter was to the media, where he'd always give them their good graces. He was more blunt and honest about stuff and very outspoken of a person. So that's probably why Jeff Kent isn't getting in by the writers. However, like Tony was mentioning, one of the greatest second base hitters of all time leading the home run race in terms of second baseman. But 
now I'm going to have to go for my backup plan of the last guy I'm going to talk about who's maybe not getting as much love, and that is going to be Mr. Tory Hunter. Now, I was going through the names, I'm like, well, maybe I could talk about a Mark Burley, or maybe I can talk about a Tim Hudson, or something like that, but I'm like, eh, no. If I had to look at guys who might have a best Hall of Fame case, it could be Tory Hunter out of that group. He's a nine-time Gold Glove winner, five-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger. To me, one of the defining outfielders of the 2000s and the 2010s. Near 2,500 hits, uh, near 400 home runs, close to 1,400 RBIs, almost 200 stolen bases, uh, 277 batting average to a 331 OPS. Was mentioned in some MVP ballots along his career. Honestly, I think he's got a pretty good case, and he's kind of along the lines of an Andrew Jones, where you kind of have to take defense into heavy consideration when you're talking about this guy. He's only got four defense D-war, defensive war in his career, so not very good. He still won nine gold gloves for his elusiveness and his athletic ability out in the outfield and being able to make many plays out there. Played in some meaningful postseason games in his career with the Twins, uh, the Angels, uh, the Tigers even, but I think he could have a respectable Hall of Fame case in the future, maybe not now because the ballot's a little stacked against him, maybe it'll take a Veterans Committee to get Torrey Hunter in the Hall of Fame, at the very least, Hall of Very Good though. Hall of Very Good, I think is a great way to describe Torrey Hunter, that's no, that's no disrespect to his game or his career, I'm looking at his baseball reference page, he actually had a much more complete career than I thought he did. You know, 50 war, nothing, again, like Jeff Kent, nothing fantastic, nothing that'll get him in on the first ballot, but he's still very well-known, very well-liked figure uh, around the baseball community. Every team he went for and played for, they loved him, the fans, his teammates, all-time, I, my opinion, all-time great Minnesota twin. Whenever I think of twins outfielders, he's usually one of the first that comes to mind. One of my favorite moments from Torrey Hunter is when he robbed Barry Bonds of a home run in the 2002 All-Star Game. I love that moment. And it goes to show you just how great of a defender he actually was. Definitely one of the better defensive center fielders of his day. Not the best. Trust me, we'll talk about the best in just a few moments because he's on this ballot too. But Hall of Very Good is a great way to describe Torrey Hunter. If he gets in, awesome. I love the guy. If he doesn't, then his legacy as a defensive great and a Minnesota Twin great I think we'll live for quite some time. So for my last under-the-radar gentleman on this ballot, I'm going to go a bit left field. And by left field, I mean past left field into the bullpen because I want to talk about Joe Nathan. Now, Joe Nathan was a guy who... <laughs> I can see Tom's reaction right now. I thought, Tom's face... I thought you were going to talk about, like, Andrew Jones or something. I didn't actually think you were going to talk about Joe Nathan. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I... Because I know I'm not going to have another chance to talk about Joe Nathan. Trust me, I am going to talk about Andrew Jones, and I'm going to talk about Todd Helton when we're building our ballots. Okay, slight spoilers, but <laughs> Joe Nathan is still very much a borderline pick for me. And I wanted to talk about Joe Nathan in particular because of one stat I saw on Twitter. Or actually two. Gonna bring up Foolish Baseball again. If you don't know, he has a lot of great Hall of Fame coverage on his YouTube channel and on his Twitter. If you don't follow him, definitely do. Dude knows what he's talking about. So there's a stat we haven't talked about a ton on this show, if ever, called Win Probability Added, or WPA. It is a rough estimate of how much a player contributes to a team's victories. 
like directly he made this team x percent more likely to win this game or win the world series or win whatever and it's usually not a stat i use to judge players careers very often but for relievers i think it's actually pretty damn important because you gotta think relievers are gonna have a lot of win probability added because you're throwing them in at the end of the game with very small leads and if they close that door the win probability goes through the roof all the way to 100 percent, and a lot of that gets attributed to the closer now every reliever in mlb history with at least 30 win probability added is in the hall of fame except for one guy i'll tell you i'll let you guess who the outlier is i know it's hard mariano rivera trevor hoffman goose gossage dennis eckersley Hoyt Wilhelm, and Joe Nathan. Yeah, I know, super hard. Who's not in the Hall of Fame? Maybe it's the guy who's currently on the pallet. So, that's already pretty damn good company. And if you didn't like that, how about another stat? It's every pitcher in Major League history, not just MLB, professional baseball history that we know of, with at least 150 ERA+, and 900 innings pitched. Again, spot the outlier. Pedro Martinez, Clayton Kershaw, Satchel Paige, Bullet Rogan, Bill Foster, Mariano Rivera, Jacob deGrom, Billy Wagner, and Joe Nathan. So there's actually, come to think of it, there's actually quite a few outliers on that <laughs> list. Some because they were Negro Leaguers, two because they're present-day players, and two who are currently on the Hall of Fame ballot. Billy Wagner, I guarantee you both Tom and I are going to talk about later. Joe Nathan does not get the same love as Billy Wagner, even though, in a lot of respects... He kind of deserves it. Joe Nathan was a six-time All-Star. He actually began his career as a starting pitcher, I believe, with the San Francisco Giants. But more people know him as one of the better lockdown closers of the 2000s. Never really attained the heights of, you know, a Mariano Rivera or a Trevor Hoffman in terms of notoriety. But in terms of efficiency, Joe Nathan was no slouch. Uh, ended his career with a 151 ERA+, plus, hence the stat I read out earlier. A very respectable 1.12 career whip. ERA of a 287 flat. And a total innings pitched of a little over 900. So, Joe Nathan had a good sample size as both a reliever and a starter. If you are interested in counting stats, he had 337 saves. More intangible stats, like... Uh, rate-based stats like win probability added or ERA plus all show Nathan as a very very above average pitcher but he gets almost no love compared to relievers like Billy Wagner on the ballot and he's almost forgotten I don't think Joe Nathan is a slam dunk hall of famer because you know relievers themselves are kind of hard to judge but you ask me if a guy like Lee Smith is in the hall of fame no disrespect to Lee Smith but let's be fair he's in the hall of fame because he has the third most saves of all time if you look at this from an efficiency-only perspective, Lee Smith and Joe Nathan are almost the same pitchers. Both very, very effective late-inning pitchers, both extremely good at locking down their team's wins, again, drawing back to that win probability added, and just flies under the radar because his name isn't Mariano Rivera or Trevor Hoffman. Is he a slam-dunk Hall of Famer? Again, no, but I just wanted to give Joe Nathan some time in the sun because he's probably not going to get a ton uh, from the voters this time around. Yeah, I certainly, uh, call back to five minutes ago, probably recording time at the very least, did not think you'd be giving him any time in the sun at all. But, I mean, looking at his numbers, though, from when he was actually pitching, extremely good. Except in the postseason. He's got an 0-2 record in 10 games pitched 
with an 8.10 ERA in the postseason. So the postseason is kind of his outlier, but regular season-wise, very, very efficient. And again, certainly one of the closers that I remember from the 2000s. So that would be my think against Nathan. I wouldn't probably vote for him in any class in the near future. Maybe, maybe we'll get a veterans committee induction. I don't see that likely happening because of the disrespect relievers tend to get and the disrespect some other positions tend to get and some other players tend to get because of the ballpark they play in, a la Todd Helton. We'll talk about him plenty because this next segment is very important to me because this will decide my opinion of Mr. Tony Puglisi from this moment on going forward, how he plans on voting for his 2022 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. Yes, we're finally going to build our ballots. And before we get into that, I think we should establish some ground rules of how we plan on voting. Again, it's never not official. We're just two people doing a podcast. So obviously we don't get a vote, yet some guys who have never written about baseball for probably the past 10 years do get a vote. So just a little irony there. But at any rate, for myself at least, I get 10 votes. I'm going to use 10 votes. Even if AJ Brzezinski's name was listed like 30 times and David Ortiz was the only other person on this ballot, I'd be voting Ortiz and nine AJ Brzezinski's because I want to give the other AJ Brzezinski's a fighting chance in the future. Some other people will just be like, yeah, he's not good enough. It's AJ Pierzynski. It's nine of them. So obviously not good enough. But at any rate, I, I will always be somebody who uses all 10 votes. Some people do not. But yeah, I'll always use my 10. Tony, I'm assuming you're going to use all 10, but maybe I'm thinking differently. Yeah, so conversely, um, I'm going to follow the example of most baseball writers. Um, I'm of a moral superior to all of these players, so I'm going to vote for zero of them to make myself feel special, and to get bullshit attention on Twitter. That's that's how I'm going to approach this. And there's a deep drive to left, and that'll be a 4 nothing ball game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, f*** you if you actually do that. I know you're joking, because I know you, but if you did that, you would be so lambasted on my Twitter account. I might have to unfollow you on Twitter if you chose to actually do that. Uh <laughs> Oh my god, I love, like, obviously I'm making fun of baseball writers, I'm not doing that. Like, my stance is literally the same as Tom's. You have ten votes, use them, especially on a ballot like this. I could see some ballots, like, uh, I think it was like a few years ago, where I could understand not using every single one of them. I think it was yeah. might have been last year or the year before. But a ballot like this, if you don't use all your votes, I think you're kidding some of these players. Like, you can't tell me there's not ten at least potential Hall of Famers out of the 30 names that Tom and I have gone over already. So I'm using all 10. We're using the discretion that we uh, sort of established throughout the episode. We're not really waiving the character clause. Or sorry, we are waiving the character clause. Like we're not judging folks by their character. Steroids, it's really just, you know, if they didn't get suspended, if they um, didn't get busted in an era where it's punishable, i.e. after the Mitchell report, we're likely not going to put them on that ballot. Uh, and going forward, we're expect 20 votes. Expect 20 votes total. Who they're going to, though, we'll see. Exactly. And that now that you mentioned the character clause, I think I mentioned this again in earlier episodes. Maybe I even mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Or I know at least you did in to some degree. If the Baseball Hall of Fame doesn't want these people in their Hall of Fame, 
don't put them on the ballot. And there's my character clause take for you. I shouldn't have to judge a character. I don't belong to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm not, if I'm a Baseball Hall of Famer, well, that's too bad. I'm not the guy who's going to make the statue for the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to be the guy who has to tell you about him, like all of his valuable information, when I go to visit said Hall of Fame. Let the Hall of Fame take the character clause out of the work. If they don't want somebody in their Hall of Fame, then they don't have to put them on their ballot. Sweet, simple, to the point. That's our stance on the character clause. Let's get down to the ballots. Tony, I'll let you go first. So the way we're going to run with this is we're going to go straight down alphabetically from Bobby Abreu to Billy Wagner, and we're just going to say yay or nay. Tom and I are both using 10 votes. We already have our ballots marked. So I'm curious. Many names are probably going to be the same, but there's also, at least with the way I built my ballot, there might be some different names. So let's get started from the very top, Bobby Abreu. Tom, does he get your vote? He unfortunately does not. Although, like I mentioned earlier, I'm encouraged to see his potential going forward with baseball writers. But to my knowledge, or to my discretion, he does not get my vote. He wouldn't be somebody who just missed, but rather maybe a few pegs away from just missing. So we've got a discrepancy already because Poppy Abreu was one of the last guys I marked down as one of my votes. He... It's definitely not a surefire... Again, we we already talked about him, so we're not going to go into big detail here. Not a surefire Hall of Famer, not like, you know, the Hall of Fame vibes, as I quoted uh, when I was describing his career. But just a low-key, really good player. Got on base. Bit of a slugger. Not nothing David Ortiz-like, but definitely all around very effective. No real controversies around him. No steroids. No nothing. Very viable player. And if anything, I'm voting for him, A, because I really like him, uh, his, him and his numbers, and B, he's definitely not getting in this time, this this year, obviously. He's a guy who I want to see on the ballot next year. Like, this is why I use my 10 votes. It's because they're not going to get in this year, but I want them to have the chance going forward. Exactly. Bobby Abreu and one other guy on this list, like, we're almost like, I don't want to say pity votes, but they're like my, okay, maybe next time votes. Bobby Abreu was the recipient of one of those first two maybe next time votes. So he gets in for me. Now let's move on to one of the big boys, Barry Bonds. Tom? Well, if I were making a a film about Barry Bonds and a name we're mentioned in a minute, Roger Clemens, it wouldn't be a very long film because it's a 100% yes from me. Again, when I was younger, I might say no, but... Barry Bonds is my first yes for me, and I guess it's a spoiler because I'm voting for Roger Clemens, too. Tony, I'm assuming you're of the same pedigree as me right now. I would hope you voted for Clemens, too. They're basically the same type of candidate. <laughs> but this is probably this is new for me. This might be the first year I say yes to Barry Bonds because we already explained it. He never got suspended, never really got, quote-unquote, in trouble for it. And before steroids, he was one of the greatest players of his generation possibly even the best. The thing that just still sours me about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens is that they both shattered those great records while doing steroids, which I always hate for the integrity of the game. But if MLB wants to turn a blind eye to it and they want to just act like, you know what, it's fine because we made money off of it, then you know what, go right ahead. Get into the Hall of Fame. And I think that I don't think that falls under the character clause of they broke these records under steroids that's more just a chip on my shoulder but i've established a precedent that i don't take my own 
leanings into these votings. I'm going to keep consistent with that. I'm going to remove the chip. Barry Bonds gets my vote. Now, a name who carried over from last year and may or may not do so again this year, and that's Mark Burley. Uh, I'll just start off by saying he's not getting my vote. Uh, he probably would have last year. Like, if I made a mock last year, he's a really underrated pitcher from the 2020s, uh, 2020s, 2000s. Uh, by no means a fantastic pitcher, but he was great for uh, the White Sox, the Blue Jays, pitched one of the more memorable, perfect games in MLB history. Uh, and just an overall very effective pitcher, very effective in limiting base runners and limiting runs, which, at the end of the day, that's all you gotta do. Uh, but just not quite there for me yet. Not quite there. Very stacked ballot. Tom, how about you? Yeah, very good, very underrated. Yes, Chicago White Sox Hall of Famer. Yes, Baseball Hall of Famer. No, unfortunately not. 214 wins, though. Very respectable. He pitches to me like an Andy Pettit almost. Low strikeout, higher ERA, high win total type of guy. Um, But just a note for Mark Burley for me. I just don't think he's quite as good as an Andy Pettit. And he doesn't top some of the guys on this ballot that are pitchers. So that's a no for me. Now, moving on is Roger Clemens. I already said yes to this. Tony, you said this might be the first year you voted yes for Bonds. Would this be the first year that you would vote for Clemens? Yes, it is. And quite frankly, I think it's kind of an ideological inconsistency if you vote for Bonds and not Clemens or Clemens and not Bonds. Because just swallow your f- pride they're the same type of player they're the best hitter and best pitcher of their generation with steroids same parameters same everything probably both bad human beings too but again to hell with the character clause yeah no everything i said about bonds about bleh, applies to clemens tom is in the same boat let's move on clemens is getting my vote now a couple new guys right here first of which is carl crawford um he's not getting my vote pretty straightforward he was a good player a fine one uh really the first great tampa bay devil ray at least before evan longoria came along one of the premier names i think of when i think of ray's history uh very good i honestly wouldn't be surprised if the rays retired his number but i don't think he comes anywhere close to the baseball hall of fame good just not very very good yeah exactly my sentiments are echoed with carl crawford definitely a no for me rays hall of fame possibly a yes Now, the next new guy on the ballot, maybe he'll make the Brewers Hall of Fame, or maybe he didn't play long enough for them, and that's going to be the big boy himself, Prince Fielder. Unfortunately, his career kind of got derailed from injuries and a neck injury. That definitely put the pin in his baseball career. Still finished with very, very great numbers. One of the most notable names, guys that you just look up to from the late 2000s, early 2010s. Just a great slugger, 319 career home runs, the same amount as his father had. That's very sentimental. One of the great players that I think of of my era when I was young. Not a Hall of Famer, though. He doesn't have a long enough career in the spotlight to get the Hall of Fame. If he had more longevity and cracked 400 home runs, I might consider him. But no, no for me for Prince Fielder. Yeah, unfortunately, I've got to agree with you. Prince Fielder is not getting my vote, which... It's a shame, had he not gotten hurt, I think he was on at least a somewhat Hall of Fame level uh, playing trajectory. The man with a swing that could topple a building, one of the most feared sluggers of his day. Um, I at least hope he gets more Hall of Fame notice than his dad did. I believe Cecil Fielder only had four votes total. 
Correct me if I'm wrong by all means, but he's not going to get in. Unfortunate for what he did in his time, but it is what it is. Trust me, another player on this list is an even sadder case. We'll get to him later. Now, the next guy up is Todd Helton. Now, Mr. Helton needs to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I urge you baseball writers, vote for Todd Helton. See, I'm in the same boat as a lot of people, I feel, with Todd Helton. We waited to see what happened to Larry Walker, who, by all means, should have been a Hall of Famer. Thank God he is. If Larry Walker got in, it would have made Helton's case much easier. Thankfully, Walker got in. Helton, God willing, should be next. We didn't talk about him a ton, so I'll just briefly run through here. 61 war, uh, 133 career OPS+. Plus. He slashed for his career, 316, 414, and 539. That 300, 400, 500 slash line is usually very indicative of a Hall of Fame talent. I love that eye test. Great defensive first baseman, which, you know, if you're going to blame Coors for his offensive production, you could at least give more credit to his gold glove level defense at first base. Face of the Rockies franchise, Rockies already retired his number. Yeah, no, great, fantastic player throughout his entire career. I'm very surprised he's gone this long without making... I mean, he is making progress. He's on a great trajectory right now. He's definitely getting my vote. One of the best first basemen of his generation. And I think he absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, exactly. You can't tell a story of 2000s or even late 1990s baseball first baseman without mentioning Todd Helton's name. Brought them to Colorado's first World Series in their history. At that point, he was starting to fall off power-wise, but still a pretty much 300 hitter throughout the rest of his career, minus a couple low spots as age kind of took a toll on Mr. Helton's career. Now, this is where it divides people, and I think you were alluding to this, Tony, the Coors Field effect. Well, guess what, in my books? If the MLB put a team out in Colorado... Why the hell are we talking about Todd Helton not being legitimate for a Hall of Fame? That's just my case right there. If baseball did not want a team in Colorado or any Colorado Hall of Famers, they should have taken the altitude into effect and not put a team in Colorado. That's my two cents on it. Also, he was drafted by Colorado, 8th overall in 1995. He can't help that. So what do you want him to do? Yeah, his numbers were probably better because he was in Colorado, but he was still one of the best first basemen of our era, slugging-wise, and was a multiple-time gold glover as well. Todd Helton, excuse me, Todd Helton belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Sorry, that's just how it is. I don't know why everybody's so divided on it. Maybe it'll just be like one of these ascending rises of some players have. They start off low, and then they just ride the high ball, like Mr. Scott Rowland probably will, if he gets elected into the Hall of Fame if Scott Helton ever gets elected to the Hall of Fame. But Todd Helton's a yes from me. And now... Wait, time out. Did you just say Scott Helton? I really hope I didn't say Scott Helton. I hope I said Scott <laughs> Rowland. But yeah, Scott Rowland, hopefully. <laughs> He's kind of on this similar trajectory. Todd Helton gets a yes. Gets a yes from me. Jesus Christ. I really hope I didn't say Scott Helton. But we'll know once we edit it. And if so, I'm sure it'll be left in the podcast and we'll make our bloopers folder. Now, moving on to our last three names in this first column, I'm kind of going to rattle them off real quickly because I can assume that neither of us are going to put them on our ballot, at least in my books they're not. That's Ryan Howard, great power production in Philly, one of the best hitters of the 2000s, but just know his career war isn't good enough. 
and he fell off very quickly. Tim Hudson, very respectable pitcher, just not good enough. Torrey Hunter, I already made his case earlier. Hall, very good. Not Hall of Fame necessarily yet. Yeah, same boat. Um, Ryan Howard is that very sad case I talked about earlier because this man literally hit 200 home runs in a four-year stretch. How do you do that? I I really wish Ryan Howard didn't get hurt, man. He would be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he kept up what he was doing at the beginning of his career. Easily the most feared hitter of the late 2000s with those World Series contending Phillies. That feels weird to say today, but no, he, he doesn't get in. Tim Hudson I really like as a Hall of Very Good candidate, but just doesn't have the numbers. And Torrey Hunter we already talked about earlier. So next guy. Speaking of Torrey Hunter, I said he was one of the best defensive center fielders of his era. And I also alluded to the fact that the best is on this ballot. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Andrew Jones. Objectively, from a statistical perspective, if you look at damn near every defensive metric... They will tell you Andrew Jones is the greatest defensive center fielder who ever played. Oh, and guess what? Um, He also hit 434 home runs. Uh, what else do I need to say? I mean, I could go on that he was a five-time All-Star, a ten-time Gold Glover, won a Silver Slugger in 2005 where he almost won MVP with a whopping 128 RBI, 51 home runs, and a 136 OPS plus. Yeah, he wouldn't have he would have won it had it not been for some guy in St. Louis. I think his name is Albert something. I don't know. He's he's probably a scrub. I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about him in the Hall of Fame candidacies in a few years. But nevertheless, Andrew Jones gets my vote. Very good player, outstanding defender, and a great power hitter to go along with it. I don't know why he's gone 5 years without that much traction. Traction, blah. See, if I were one of the writers that didn't use all 10 votes, I don't think Andrew Jones would be making my ballot. Not that I have any disrespect for players or for writers that don't use all 10 votes. If you use most of your votes, then yeah, we can get along, but I still might have a gun pointed at you under the table, a la Han Solo. But I am one of the guys who uses all 10 votes, and Andrew Jones was one of the guys who just made my ballot. For the Hall of Fame, I am putting him through. He's a yes for me. Five-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glover. One of the most popular players of his era. One of my favorite players growing up. Probably even my favorite for a very small section of my childhood. Once uh, Bernie Williams retired and before I really became enthralled with Alex Rodriguez. Before he admitted to using steroids. Yeah, Andrew Jones, one of the greatest players of the 2000s and late 90s. Unfortunately, he had... a mighty downfall of his career once the clock turned 30. His last year in Atlanta was okay, not great or really good. He had 222, so I'm not going to say it was good by all means. And yeah, that's when his career really went bad. From ages 31 through 35, he didn't really post any meaningful numbers. He did get over the 400 home run plateau, which certainly helps his case. Didn't get the 2,000 hit plateau, which could hinder his case. But one of the best, as Tony alluded to, one of the best defensive players of all time, possibly the best defensive center fielder of all time. Yeah, he's going to get my vote. Those 10 gold gloves, if he didn't have them, I'd probably say no, but because of them, I'm going to say yes. Defense is very underrated. Uh, Who is next on the ballot? Because I don't have it pulled up. Now I do. It is Jeff Kent. And this is a very interesting case because one of the best second basemen you can argue of all time, question mark. Offensively, Yes. Defensively, probably not. 
I wish we had more votes that I could give because then I'd give them to Jeff Ken. Second baseman, I feel, are disrespected, and I was a second baseman growing up, so it hurts me to say I'm not putting this all-time great second baseman on my ballot, but I think the guys I have ahead of him are just a couple notches better than Jeff Kent. Unfortunately, he's not going to make my ballot this year. This year, at least. Well, Jeff Kent, you remember what I said earlier about Bobby Abreu and like the pity votes, quote-unquote? It was between Bobby Abreu, Jeff Kent, and one player who I'm going to mention in a little bit, actually. Jeff Kent just made it. I'm giving my vote to Jeff Kent. He's like, if I were to rank my votes almost like 1 to 10, Jeff Kent would probably be that 10th. Like, if I had to bump someone, it would be him. But Jeff Kent, by all means, very great player. We talked about him a ton earlier, so I won't go into him again here. Leads all second baseman and career home runs, up there in hits as well. His talent, uh, excuse me, his company in many categories are all already Hall of Famers. Do I think he's going to get in? Definitely not this year, but probably not. I think next year's his last year. He would get my vote. Other guys uh, who I considered, I'll talk about later. They're actually coming up pretty soon. But Jeff Kent will get my vote. Uh, Very, very good player. Now, I'm going to do what Tom did earlier. I'm going to lump the next two together because something tells me we both didn't vote for them. Uh, Tim Lincecum and Justin Morneau. So Tim Lincecum's a really interesting case, and if he pitched longer, he probably could make the Hall of Fame. And just based on sheer talent alone, Lincecum's a fantastic player. And same thing with Morneau, no disrespect to him. Minnesota Twins legend, won an MVP over Derek Jeter. Uh, Great first baseman, but Hall of very good for both of them. I'm not voting for them. Great, but just not good enough, that's all. Yeah, like Andrew Jones, Justin Morneau had this drastic kind of turn off of his career then it kind of revived it when he won the batting title also out in Colorado but at any rate Lince come in more no probably two of the guys who have some of the best peaks I've ever seen growing up watching baseball especially Lince come in his case winning two Cy Youngs in a row I'm pretty sure could have probably tacked on a couple more he just needed to pitch better for probably another five years if he had come close to the level he had pitched in those peak years. He'd be a surefire Hall of Famer in my mind. Morneau, longevity, just strikes against him. Very good, not Hall of Fame. Now, I thought we could just breeze through Joe Nathan too, because he's a no on my ballot. But something tells me Tony may have used that last pity vote on Joe Nathan. I could so be wrong. I, I didn't want to breeze through Joe Nathan. I didn't vote for him. Because, you know, I brought him up as my last guy to circle that no one's talking about. You remember how I said there were three guys who I, like, almost gave votes to and two of them were Abreu and Kent? Uh, Nathan was the other one. Nathan was the other one. There's another pitcher later on down this column who I'll talk about that I almost voted for, too. But Nathan, I don't know, I almost sold myself with the whole win probability added. He's got 150 ERA plus with well over 900 innings. One of the best, most effective relievers of his day. I think relievers in and of themselves are pretty underrepresented in the hall. And so many of them are just like, oh, he had 50 bajillion saves. Put him in the hall. No disrespect to Trevor Hoffman and Lee Smith. Again, both great, especially Trevor Hoffman. But uh, no, if we're going to start opening the door to more relievers, you know, let's just say like if Billy Wagner gets in, Joe Nathan, I think could be the next one. Like, all right, we let Billy Wagner in. How about this Joe Nathan guy? I really wanted to vote for him as sort of like a pity, like keep him on the ballot for next year type thing. But the only reason I didn't is because Kent's coming up on year 10. This is Nathan's first year. 
So hopefully enough folks vote for him. We'll see him again in 2023. I just wanted Kent to get that vote because his time here is almost done. Yeah, no offense, Tony, but if you voted for Nathan and you were an official voter and that was your 10th vote, I probably would have called you out on Twitter. I'm not going to lie. You made a very, very strong case for Joe Nathan, but I'm sorry. Right now, big X. No for me. This year, I wouldn't vote for him like he misses the cut, but next year with no Bonds, Clemens, whoever, I think I would vote for Nathan if I'm using all 10. Yeah, I don't don't know about that. Call call me a one year from now. (laughs) Maybe I'll think differently, but probably not. All right, next guy, because this is a very important guy on the list. You are right. That is Mr. David Ortiz, my least favorite player growing up, but that's just because I was a young, salty Yankees fan. Obviously, I like David Ortiz now. You know how much I like him? I'm voting for him because, well, yeah, he's David Ortiz. So... David Ortiz, you know, we already talked about the whole steroid thing. He was accused, but never really punished for it. One of the greatest designated hitters of all time. I think second only to Edgar Martinez. Very respectable OPS plus for DH 141. That's actually better than Alex Rodriguez, by the way, which is only a hitting-centric stat. Obviously, his war total is not going to be that impressive alongside it. It's actually very, very comparable to Jeff Kent's. Kent's is actually a little higher but that's because of his fielding. Ortiz is a DH, didn't play great first base when he did play there. But what can you say? He's David Ortiz, one of the greatest Red Sox of all time, second best DH of all time, multiple silver sluggers, seven to be exact, 10-time All-Star, won three World Series in Boston, World Series MVP back in 2013, and just a player who defined a generation, played for 20 years, And if you talk to anybody our age who grew up watching baseball, particularly in Boston, they'll tell you how much they love David Ortiz. One of the best hitters of our generation. He's getting my vote for sure. Exactly. One of the most respected players of the 2000s and 2010s. Again, if you ask me as a kid, I'd say, you, David Ortiz, you suck. Uh, I probably wouldn't use that language because I went to Catholic school when I was younger, but... uh... I would be exa- pretty much saying the exact same thing as I did in a much nicer and more Christian way, I guess you can put it. But surefire Hall of Famer in my books, one of the best final years of a player in Major League history, almost won an MVP, finished sixth that year. Yeah, just one of the greatest players. He definitely has the postseason pedigree, which is going to, well, I'm going to be talking about that very soon when it comes to postseason pedigree. Let's just put it that way. Spoiler alert, it might even be in this column, Tony. Uh, But yeah, postseason pedigree means a lot to me, especially if you have the numbers to back it up or if you're on the fence. If you were very good when it mattered most, then you could get by, in my opinion. So David Ortiz, even if he didn't have the postseason pedigree, he'd be a surefire Hall of Famer in my books. Let's throw the designated hitter bullshit out the window. It's a position in baseball. If they didn't want it to be played, then... They don't have to have it be played. It's a crucial position in baseball, as is every other position. It's undervalued, of course, because it's only hitting, but it doesn't mean it doesn't hold any weight whatsoever. David Ortiz, Hall of Famer. Now we get to move into the next guy on our list, and I think we're going to breeze through the next two because I'm assuming they're both no's. David Ortiz's teammate, Jonathan Papelbon, is next on the list. Well, if there were a Hall of Fame for cheap shots on Bryce Harper, then he would surely make the Hall of Fame. He'd be a first ballot 100%, but uh, that's not the case with Jonathan Papelbon. A very great closer when he was in Boston, uh, just not Hall of Fame worthy. Jake Peavy, one of my favorite pitchers growing up, uh, won a Triple Crown as a pitcher in 2007 with the San Diego Padres. 
one of their best pitchers of all time, had a revival later in his career. Not a Hall of Famer, though. Yeah, no, not much to add to that. Papelbon could be in that conversation of closers. Like, all right, if Billy Wagner gets in, maybe look at Papelbon. Maybe look at uh, Nathan. But I'm not voting for either of them this year. Uh, Jake Peavy, you talked about peaks earlier, Tom. One of the craziest peaks in the late 2000s with Jake Peavy. Won the Cy Young with the Padres, like you mentioned, the Triple Crown. Uh, won the World Series with the Giants a couple years later. Overall, both great players. Just don't get my vote this year. That's all. Now, for the player and the pick that's going to make me look like a fake Yankees fan. <laughs> Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit, Andy Pettit. One of my favorite pitchers growing up. One of the big four, the core four, or the fab five, if you want to include Bernie Williams. Um, either way, Andy Pettit, unfortunately, is not going to get my vote this year. I love him for his time with the Yankees. By all accounts, his numbers were really good. You know, 2,448 career strikeouts, career ERA, bleh, career ERA plus of 117. That's pretty respectable. Uh, one of the longest tenured pitchers in New York Yankees history. Postseason warrior, as Tom, I'm sure, will talk about in more depth. Uh, went to the World Series with the Houston Astros in 2005 as part of the one of the best 1-2-3 punches ever. Multiple top five Cy Young finishes. Just isn't going to get my vote because he's not... He doesn't quite crack that upper echelon. He's very close to, like, the Jeff Kent 10th vote. Like, Andy Pettit might be my... 11th vote if I had one or a 12th great player just doesn't crack my top 10 this year Tom take it away because I think I know what you're gonna say yeah remember when I alluded to postseason pedigree like five minutes ago yeah I was referring to Andy Pettit because he's got the most wins in the postseason he's got 19 of them it goes to show yes he kind of got an easy ride out because he was on some of the greatest Yankee teams of all time including on that dynasty team then he was with the Yankees in his later part of the career. He won with Houston, didn't win a ring, but he still won, theoretically, with Houston. Although that ERA is 381 in the postseason, and his career ERA, 385. Very comparable. And remember when I said there was a pitcher comparable to Mark Burley, and that was Andy Pettit? Well, I kind of mean that, because Andy Pettit is kind of a more win-esque version of a Mark Burley. He cracks 250, which if this were like, the 1970s or something like that he'd probably be in the hall of fame already because wins meant everything to those guys and those writers and stuff like that 256 wins he has more strikeouts than mark burley he's got 2448 one of my favorite players he'd be he's again one of those guys that's on the fence with me but i think i'm wearing a yankee shirt right now tony can attest to this this is true I'm this is true so maybe my bias is kicking in when i'm saying this vote but at least I'm not as biased as one voter who made my list this year. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Because if you want to talk about bias and oh, and Nelly, that voter definitely belongs on the list for their discretions. But Andy Pettit is a yes for me. I think he's just one of the best pitchers of his generation, regardless of his high ERA. Didn't never crack 200 strikeouts. But for me, it's that postseason pedigree that gets him skating by. Who's next on the bat? Ah, oh, yes. The undisputed Hall of Famer, A.J. Pierzynski, the last one in this middle column on our blank ballots. Clearly, 
not a Hall of Famer. Of course, he's not a Hall of Famer. He did crack 2,000 hits. You can make a case for A.J. Pruszynski all you want, White Sox fans. He won you a World Series in 2005, but not a Hall of Famer. Sorry, A.J. Maybe next year, but you're not going to be on the ballot next year, so what does that matter? I was going to go into that. Like He might not even be on the ballot next year. It really wouldn't surprise me if he isn't. Good player, but hits alone aren't going to get you into the Hall of Fame. He's not going to get in. Sorry, White Sox fans. So, the next fella. Next two are actually going to be quite interesting. We're on the last column, folks. We're almost there. We're almost done. And we got a couple doozies to start off. Beginning with Manny Ramirez. One of the most fun players in MLB history. One of the most noteworthy in terms of offensive production and personality. But also steroid usage. Blatant, blatant steroid usage. And because he got busted doing it, well after the age where it was overlooked, deemed acceptable, got suspended for it, and quite frankly, that defense in left field doesn't really help him, he's not going to get my vote. You can't tell the story of the, you know, curse-breaking Red Sox without him, but at the same time, the steroids really hamper him, the defense is going to damp, uh, dampen him even more. His hitting, by all means, could carry him to the Hall of Fame if he hadn't cheated, cheated twice, by the way, and cheated after it was really deemed uh, passable by the league. So if he did this maybe a few years earlier, around the time Bonds and Clemens were doing it, when he was still with the Indians, and only then, I'd be a little more forgiving. But considering he likely juiced multiple times in his career against the rules, no, can't do it. Not voting for Manny Ramirez. Yeah, if, by the way, referring to Tony's comment about his defense, if you ever want a picture as to how Manny Ramirez played left field, go watch the play where he cut off, I believe it was Johnny Damon's throw from the outfield. He was a double cutoff, leaped in front of it, and then threw it into a shortstop and inexplicably caused an inside-the-park home run. That's just Manny being Manny. Yeah, if he wasn't caught in the era where he was caught, then he'd probably be getting a yes on my ballot. But because he was suspended for steroids, which is how I'm at least going to draw the line this year, again, in the future, I might change my opinion because I'm allowed to, then maybe. But this year, no. Does he deserve a place in Cooperstown based on his statistics? Absolutely. But again, it's steroids. It's the thing that divides baseball writers alike. And the next guy that really divides people alike is their perception of a... Hall of Fame-worthy journalist and baseball commenter, color guy, Alex Rodriguez. Of course, he wouldn't make any Hall of Fame for his color work with Matt Vaskersian on their infamous Sunday night baseball broadcasts on ESPN. Everybody knows who A-Rod is. Everybody knows the numbers that A-Rod has certainly put up in his career, but he also has the longest suspension, I believe, in MLB history. I believe at 212 games for his steroid usage and other bull that he was doing. That's why he's not getting in. It's the steroids, not so much the public perception, because again, I don't really care about the character clause, but you were caught with steroids and all that when people were getting suspended for it. That's a no for me. Sorry, A-Rod. You're one of my favorite players growing up, but you kind of turned into an asshole when you were older. Oh, man. J-Lo's ex. What else can I add about J-Lo's ex? Um, trust me, we Tom and I could do an entire episode just on the escapades of Alex Rodriguez, you know, from the 
field day the New York Post had with, you know, publishing headlines with him on the cover when he would struggle with the Yankees. And by struggle, I put that lightly. The dude mashed with the Yankees for the most part, thanks to steroids, of course. But it could be that. It could be his whole effort to cover up his steroid usage. The long and short of it is I'm not voting for A-Rod. Same reason Tom is. Steroids. Longest suspension in MLB history. I think he appealed and actually got it lowered from 200-something to just a full season. Like, he sat out the entire 2014 MLB season because of steroids. And yeah, no, he did plenty to get into the Hall of Fame in terms of production. I think he's one of the best players of all time in terms of war. But the steroid usage was way too much, and it was well after the sort of statute of limitations. Like, this isn't the 90s, man. True, you can't really tell the story of baseball, especially recent baseball, without Alex Rodriguez, but I'm comfortable leaving him off the ballot this time. There's plenty of other guys I could vote for. Like our next gentleman here, Scott Rowland. What a transition. Scott Rowland has slowly but surely turned into everybody's favorite baseball player, at least on this ballot. And you know why? Because he didn't do steroids, he's not accused of anything egregious, and he's a sabermetric darling. He's literally everything modern baseball pundits, fans, analysts love about players. I mean, look at this guy. 70 career war. 70. That's one of the best on this list. And the next guys above him are the Titans like A-Rod, Bonds, and Clemens. Roland being up there too is outstanding. OPS plus 122. Very respectable for a third baseman. He is a seven-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glover, won the 2006 World Series with the Cardinals, only got one Silver Slugger to his name, but at the same time, that's really a testament to how, you know, the narrative with Scott Rowland, he was never the very, very best, but he was always that consistent force in whichever lineup he was a part of, whether it was the Cardinals, whether it was the Phillies, whether it was the Reds later in his career. Scott Rowland was a fantastic baseball player, And people just didn't realize it at the time because his name wasn't Alex Rodriguez. It wasn't David Ortiz. It wasn't Albert Pujols. You know, his teammate for a good chunk of the 2000s. He was teammates with Albert Pujols. Of course, he's going to get outshone a little bit. But in retrospect, it's so great to see so many voters seeing the light. Scott Rowland's a great player by every facet of the game. All the numbers point to it. You've seen all the cases for him. I'm voting for Scott Rowland. Bar none. He was the first guy I marked down. Yeah, sabermetric darling. That's the exact perfect way to sum up Scott Rowland's Hall of Fame candidacy. If sabermetrics were not a thing in modern baseball, I guarantee you Scott Rowland would not be a Hall of Famer. Now, personally, I do own an autographed Phillies hat of Scott Rowland that I bought during the pandemic. Yeah, I, I saw you making a nice face. It's like, ooh, yeah, that was a good deal. Yeah, I know. I bought it with some other stuff, so it made it not so great of a deal. But I'm hoping that thing appreciates in value, and that's partially why I'm adding him to my Hall of Fame ballot. That's why he's a yes, because <laughs> if I ever try and sell it one day, maybe it'll sell for thousands, for hundreds of dollars instead of what I picked it up for. I think it was like 60 or 70 bucks, or I don't even remember the price, to be honest with you. But yeah, Sabermetric Darling, that's why he's on the ballot, or on our ballots, and he also has the postseason pedigree. You can argue with the 2006 Cardinals. Dude mashed 421 with a, as a batting average in the World Series in those five games. Next up is Jimmy Rollins, a very underappreciated player in terms of Hall of Fame candidacy. 
but the speed up time, I think there's just many other guys on this list that are ultimately better and have more legitimacy than Jimmy Rollins does. So he's a no from me. Maybe a future candidate, but just a no from me. He's also going to be a no for me. I mean, all-time Phillies legend, absolutely going to get into the Phillies Hall of Fame. I'd be kind of surprised if he didn't. Won an MVP with them, won a World Series with them, multiple gold gloves, a silver slugger award, although he is actually a below-average hitter for his career. This is something I didn't know. His career OPS+, plus, you know, my bread and butter, 95. He's 5% worse than the average hitter for his career, which... Not typically what I like to see in a Hall of Famer, unless the defense is there, which Rollins it was, but for, again, to save time, I didn't vote for him. He's a great player in his own right, just not one that I want to immortalize in Cooperstown. Now, someone I do want to immortalize in Cooperstown, trust me, I talked plenty about this guy earlier, I'm not going to go into the same spiel, I'm voting for Kurt Schilling. I know he said he doesn't want to be elected by this board, but guess what? I'm not on this board, so I can vote for Kurt Schilling if I want to. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a baseball writer of America. So I Kurt Schilling should have, again, should have been in many ballots ago. Pitcher who defined a generation. Bloody sock game. Tons of strikeouts. Great pedigree. Great everything. Kurt Schilling is a Hall of Famer, but you didn't need me to tell you that. He made my ballot, too, for the same reasons Tony said. Bloody sock game. Postseason pedigree. Check. One of the best pitchers of his generation. Check. Character clause. We're going to X that out and scribble it out. I'm not a journalist as well. He's on my ballot. Welcome to the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, Kurt Schilling. Next up on the ballot, and it maybe will divide us, is Gary Sheffield. I'm a yes for Gary Sheffield. A 500 home run hitter who by no means can back it up with his glove, but still one of the most feared hitters of his era. I think he was named on the Mitchell Report, though, so that could be his downside, but still, in my mind, an all-time slugger, one of the most memorable batting stances of all time, just a guy who can outright mash damn near 2,700 career hits, 292, 393, 514 clip. He has an OPS plus of 140 for his career. Tony, you're going to love this. His OPS plus one year in 1996 was 189. I think you would love that stat by Gary Sheffield. I saw the eyes just bulge right out of your head when I said that. (laughs) So I think I'm on the right track of saying he's a Hall of Famer in my eyes. Uh, You know what's sad? (laughs) Even after that, that, even after that incredible ERA, uh, ERA, OPS plus, that Tom brought up. He only finished sixth in MVP voting that year, by the way. Wow. Um, I actually didn't vote for him. Which, for the longest time, I thought he t- had taken steroids. After that benchmark that we've established, you know, after 2006, after the Mitchell Report, after everything. But apparently, from what I've seen, I think the only time he was tied to steroids was before the Mitchell Report. Which would put him in the same boat as Bonds and Clemens. I think anyway, I might be wrong, but Sheffield, if that is the case, Sheffield is a guy that just misses out for me because of the density of this ballot. Like, Sheffield could easily make my ballot next year, could easily, like, with that knowledge of his steroid usage in mind, I very likely would vote for him in the future, but just with how stacked the ballot is, he won't get my vote, though I understand why you'd vote for him. 
another guy who I could have given my vote to is Sammy Sosa. And I say could have because I didn't vote for him. By all means, could be in the Hall of Fame. Like, in all actuality, he won't be. Again, we've talked about this. His last year, didn't even get 20%, yada yada. A bajillion home runs. One of the faces of the steroid era. I'm going to pull up his actual home run count. So, bajillion. 609. 609. I knew he eclipsed 600. Thank you for that. One of the greatest sluggers of his day. A bit estranged with the baseball community and especially with the Cubs. I didn't vote for him pretty much the same reason I did Sheffield, but unfortunately he can't get my vote next year. So I didn't vote for him. Yeah, actually going into this year, I had the same argument you did against Gary Sheffield. I thought he was always tied to steroids and to be fair, kind of is. I actually thought he was suspended for steroids at one point in his career. It turns out he wasn't. So I made that distinction a little too little too late when I was putting my ballot together. But even then, it's his last year. I could have given my vote to him, but also then again, I want to keep Andy Pettit's candidacy alive. I want to show my support for Andrew Jones, for Todd Helton. Sammy Sosa in his peak was better than all three of those guys combined, arguably, but ultimately, he just misses my ballot. If I had 12 votes, uh, say it ain't Sosa, would probably be making my ballot. But as it stands right now, he won't be a Hall of Famer, and his candidacy will have to be decided by a veterans committee in the future. And now we've got three more names on this ballot. I know we've been doing this for a while, so thank you for sticking with us if you're listening this far into the episode. But now we've got three more guys, and I'm pretty sure one of them we both saved our last and final vote for. It's not going to be Mark Teixeira, one of my favorite players. I have his jersey up in my closet right now. A legit Yankees jersey, not some one with the name on the back of the shirt. Possibly robbed of a MVP in 2009, as Tony put it. But then again, Joe Maurer had his best year ever. So, not really robbed. And Omar Vizquel, a guy who I used to vote for, now overshadowed. And also kind of iffy on that whole character clause thing. But even then... He's a borderline guy in my books. Not really a great offensive guy, great on defense, but his offense is not nearly good enough to make the Hall of Fame, no matter how many career hits he has. Also, I would just like to point that out. The time of this recording, compared to years past, his net plus minus is minus 32, which is not good by any means. Yeah, 32 less people have voted for Omar Vizquel most likely because of his, like, whole domestic violence and crap allegations against him with the whole character clause thing, but to me, he was borderline. That certainly didn't help, but if I'm throwing the character clause out the window, he still wouldn't make the ballot because this year it's just too far stacked. Minus 32. Fush. That's got to be the worst of all time at this point. If it's not, he's going to be with it- this early into the voting process. I don't know who's got the worst plus minus net, but I can tell you it's probably definitely a top 10. Easily. Um, But just running through my last, same thing as Tom, I didn't vote for Teixeira. I actually do have his jersey as well. Not a bullshit fake one. It's actually got the World Series patch on it from 09. It doesn't fit me anymore because it fit me in 09. Uh, But I have it. One of my favorite players growing up, but Hala very good, very easily. And Vizquel... Again, same sentiment. Always a borderline pick for me. One of my underdogs, kind of like Hilton and Andrew Jones, but with how stacked the ballot is and with how lacking his offense is, I can't justify it anymore, even with throwing the character clause out the window. 
And thus, we come to the final nominee, the final candidate on this ballot that I assure you both of us voted for because we both have nine. <laughs> I voted for Billy Wagner, and I could talk for hours as to why. Tom, I'm guessing you did too? Yes, I voted for Billy Wagner as well. You can just say all the reasons why not, because I'm pretty sure we have the exact same reasons. Maybe I'll chime in at the end, but take it away, Tony. Talk about Billy Wagner. I, you don't have to tell me twice, you just might have to tell me to shut up, because this man was one of the most underrated relievers of his time, and, you know, there's an argument, like, how many relievers really should be in the Hall of Fame, I've talked about Hoffman and Smith a lot, I think there's a legitimate case to call Wagner the second best reliever ever behind Mariano Rivera, because when you look at guys who put up the run and base runner prevention that he did, he's damn near unmatched. I, he has a career ERA plus of, say it with me now, except you probably don't know it, it's 187. Yeah, that one crazy OPS plus season that Gary Sheffield had of like 189 that Tom said, Billy Wagner did the equivalent of that for his entire career. Interesting to note, whip is one of my favorite stats to look at for a pitcher, just how few base runners they leave on. He had a career whip under one. That, if you don't know, that's allowing less than one base runner on per inning. That's insane. And Tom mentioned earlier about David Ortiz's best last season ever. You know, like one of the best at least. Billy Wagner's gotta be up there too. ERA plus of 275. He saved 37 games. He was an all-star. Definitely could have played a little more, but wanted to stop when he wanted to stop. You know, much like Kyle Seager. Billy Wagner, all-time great closer. One of the most feared lefty relievers ever, if not the most. Just an all-around, like, one of the best lockdown closers ever. Couple Cy Young finishes, a bunch of all-stars, seven actually. Whether you know him from MLB The Show, from his time with the Houston Astros, his time with the New York Mets, anyone could tell you how dominant a reliever Billy Wagner was. Absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. So Billy Wagner, my case, I'll briefly talk about him. If I'm going to be thinking about left-handed relievers, that are in the Hall of Fame, I can't think of any off the top of my mind that are a left-handed reliever and in the Hall of Fame to this day. Tony, am I just being stupid and completing, completely forgetting about one obvious pick? Or I actually think you're right. I actually didn't think of that. Most relievers in the... Unless, like... No, Hoyt Wilhelm, I think, was a righty. No, I think most of them are, are righties. You know, Eckersley, Fingers... What about Al, Al Herbrowski or whatever the hell? <laughs> well, thank you uh, for that. Uh, so that backs up my point. We need a left-handed reliever in the Hall of Fame if there's not one there already, and Billy Wagner would be a very, very great candidate to put in first, one of the best of his era. Not even a natural-born lefty, mind you. Natural-born right-hander that had to learn to throw lefty in his youth because he fractured his right arm twice in his youth, almost back-to-back. And pretty much had to train himself to throw lefty. I think that's pretty damn impressive. That story belongs in the Hall of Fame, just like Billy Wagner's career belongs in the Hall of Fame. And we hope he gets there someday. So that, again, is our ballots that we have built for the 2022 class of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Again, mine real quickly is Bonds, Clemens, Helton, Jones, Ortiz, Pettit, Roland Schilling, Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. And Tony, remind everybody again what your ballot is. So again, mine is Abreu, Bonds, Clemens, Helton, Jones, Kent, Ortiz, Roland, Schilling, 
and Wagner. So feel free to flame us. Feel free to agree with us or disagree with us. Engage in a conversation with us. Trust me, we could talk about this crap all day as evidenced by the length of this podcast episode. <laughs> but uh, but any rate, it's time to wrap up the show. We've got a closer and it's going to kind of be one of those unified ones we like to do. And I'm going to be going on a little bit of a rant here. Because it's time to add some names to the baseball writer shit list. And if you don't know what that is already, it is people who vote for the Hall of Fame and have credentials, surprisingly, that have terrible ballots. And I'm going to call them out for them. Yeah, we already had one honorable addition beforehand. And it was Steve Marcus who put on a whopping zero players on his ballot, and I wrote this down. I don't know if I said it before, but I'll say it again if I haven't. Fun fact, every player on the ballot has a higher career war than nobody altogether. Thank you, Steve Marcus, and the other names that will be added to the list. Now, Tony, this one I sent you, and we were kind of raging back and forth in a text message chain for a couple minutes. What pisses you off more, stupid biased balloting or voting zero on the ballot? I mean, this is kind of an easy answer, but... You know where I'm trying to lead into this first person that's added to the list. <laughs> I know who you're leading into. I would definitely say voting for no one because even if you're biased, you're still giving somebody a nod. However, like, I know exactly what ballot you're talking about and it just infuriates me. Like, it's close. It's closer than you think because it's like, it's such clear bias considering where you're from, who you voted for, and why you voted for them. Like, you gotta be kidding. Tom, I'll let you take it away. Because I'm just going to sit here and admire how much censoring I'm going to have to do in the editing room. <laughs> Lovely. Now, I can I can say whatever the f*** I want to because f*** these f***ing people. This isn't my half of the f***ing episode. <laughs> you, you can't see it, but Tony just gave me the, flipped me the bird. Because <laughs> I just made his like you know, a little bit you know more what I difficult. Also, you know what I could also do? I could just cut stuff out. I could just make it easier for myself all over again. <laughs> You could do that. Oh, boy. I should have sprinkled in Brooks Nudson's name when I was saying the F-bomb four times in a row. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's the first addition to the uh, list, and that is Brooks Nudson. He voted for two whole people. Now, that's not nearly bad enough, but he voted for Barry Bonds. Okay. He also voted for Tim Lincecum. And now I'm like, Okay, I kind of want to see Lincecum get more love in the future. He won't be a Hall of Famer, so obviously his time on the ballots won't be very long. And of course, with every player, I would love to see them make more of a case and have more discussions about them in the future. But why am I so pissed off about only two players voted for? Well, this Brooks Nudson fella just so happens to be a Bay Area writer or just a Bay Area native. I don't even know. I just know he's associated with the Bay Area to some degree, and only voted for San Francisco players on this ballot. Surprisingly enough, though, he didn't vote for Jeff Kent, which I'm just now realizing was a San Francisco giant great in the 2000s. This motherfucker didn't vote for Jeff Kent. He voted for Bonds and Lincecum. <laughs> okay, that almost makes me more angry at him. Like, if you're going to commit to this faulty logic, at least just go all in. Go 100%. Vote for only your favorite players. Jeff Kent's the best second baseman, or okay, one of the best second basemen your team's ever seen. I know Rogers Hornsby played for the Giants back when they were in New York, but still, go big or go home, Brooks. God damn it. 
I'm also pretty positive that there are a couple of other San Francisco Giants that played for the franchise in their existence. Jake Peavy is one of them. Uh, Joe Nathan at the start of his career. Tim Hudson, yeah, I think, at one series. point. Yeah, Peavy won a World Series with them. Uh, Vizquel may have. I'm not completely certain on that one. I want to say You're yes. You're right. You're right. He ended his career with them. I gotcha. believe anyway. So if you're going to go San Francisco, go big or go home. But I understand not voting for those guys, but come on, dude. You're going to vote for Tim Lincecum and not Jeff Kent, and you also threw in Barry Bonds in that discussion? Yeah, you're add to the list for being stupid, Brooks Nudson. <laughs> All right, the next person on this list is Mike Hunt. Now, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yes, this has to be a troll, and you're probably right. This guy has voted zeros in the past couple of ballots except one Jeter-only ballot when Jeter was unanimously elected to the Hall of Fame. And yes, his name literally is Michael Hunt, and we'll call him Mike Hunt. Not even for the jokes. That's just his real name, ladies and gentlemen. The... Do, do I censor that? I don't know. I don't think you can because it's his actual name. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty weird. Yeah, his name is Beep. <laughs> His name is rescinded. Yeah. So name redacted is on the <laughs> list for voting zero. Joining Steve Marcus. So congratulations. You just made the uh, all-time list for doing that. At least Brooks put down two players. He was stupidly left off a couple others. But that's besides the case. I'll get to our latest zero ballot in a minute. But I would like to point out one Vene's ballot if I'm saying your last name right. If not, I do apologize. But this guy voted for three players, and they're all respectable players in their own right. Andy Pettit, one of the few that actually voted for him, so I applaud you there. Also vote for Scott Rowland and Billy Wagner. What I find egregious is that he took Todd Helton's name off the ballot. He's voted for him in the past, and he's done it alternatively, meaning he didn't vote for him, and then he voted for him. He didn't vote for him, and then he voted for him, or vice versa, because that makes sense, because this is his fourth year voting or fourth year on the ballot or something like that. Either way, he's alternated votes for Todd Helton. Like, dude, make up your mind. Todd Helton, to me, is a Hall of Famer. If he's not a Hall of Famer to you, so be it. But don't be so yes or no about it. Be definitive in your stance. Don't change it every other year and then leave Todd Helton off this ballot now when he very well could possibly make the Hall of Fame this year. Probably won't, but you never know. If there's one vote missing, I'm going to look to Juan Vene. So Juan makes it for dropping Helton for some reason. And then the last guy added to our list is going to be Ron Cook, who joins the Steve Marcuses of the world and name redacted of the world for voting zero. Zero, zero, zero. But I at least have respect for them enough for putting their name to their ballot. Unlike the anonymous cowards that will ultimately vote for zero and will never reveal that to be their ballot. Those people are sincerely the worst on the list and deserve a special spot in baseball hell. Not baseball hall, baseball hell. Yeah, you know Dante's, like, nine circles of hell? There's three circles of the shit list. The dumb picks, the no picks, and then the anonymous no picks. You can't see it, but my I'm making a descending motion with my hand. Level one, 
then down to level two, down to level three. If you're anonymous and you vote for no one, you're a goddamn coward. We're both calling you out right now because that, I, we've said it before, we'll say it again. You can't tell me that there are zero Hall of Famers on this ballot. Tom and I put 10, so many people have put 10, and you could give legitimate reasons for more than 10. The fact that we haven't have to make a shit list like this is indicative of how broken Hall of Fame voting is. People have made rants and video essays and articles about how broken this process is. It's just a goddamn mess. And voters, thankfully, are changing a little bit more. You know, guys like Larry Walker would not have gotten in years ago. So they're at least getting marginally better. But then we still have the attention-seeking, me-first, bullshit, no-voters who do this. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced they're doing this just for attention. There's no way you could be qualified enough to have a vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame Look at that ballot, see David Ortiz, and go, no, not good enough. I'm convinced they just want clicks on Twitter. At least just one person you could vote for. At least one. Even if it was just AJ Pierzynski, I'd laugh at you and you'd make the list, but you'd have much more respect for me than if you voted for zero. And no offense to name-redacted Ron Cook and Steve Marcus, but I have never heard their name and a respectful baseball writer's discussion, except for when they give out their Hall of Fame ballots. Just wanted to point that out there. Enjoy your moment in the sun and being indicative of what's wrong with baseball and why people are tuned out from Baseball Hall of Fame voting and why people are angry at the process and being part of the problem, not the solution. Again, I don't care if you vote for like three players or whatever. Just vote for somebody. At least Brooks Nudson voted for two players. Yeah, that's a bad ballot in my mind. But hey, I have much more respect for him, even though he's clearly biased. I was biased too, probably, for putting Andy Pettit's name on my ballot. But at least I'm not just voting for Andy Pettit, Mark Teixeira, Alex Rodriguez, and any other Yankee that might be on the ballot. But at the very least, put your name to paper with what you do. That's the lesson to be told in all that. I once worked with a producer that said those exact same words, pretty much. If you're at least going to do something, put your name to it and be there and be present to see it through. Don't take yourself out of the picture. Don't do something and then cross your name off it or don't show up. Put your name on it. Stick to your guns, which these guys are doing, so I have the respect at least for that. You might be a ballot but at least you're not an anonymous coward. That's what I got to say at the end of the day. And I don't really have much else to add to that because I know I'd be echoing myself and Tom, I'd be echoing you. So that all being said, I believe now it is finally time to call this episode complete. We went through a lot of Hall of Fame talk, ladies and gentlemen. Feel free to engage with discussions with us on social media. Trust me, again, we can talk about this stuff all day. Ask us about our ballots. We'll be posting them. And at the end of the day, go follow us on social media anyway. Hall of Fame or not. We post content that we like to think is funny. We're still proud of that Boxing Day post. So. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Apologies to anyone who may have thought that that one boxing glove I put on Rudned Odor is much bigger than the others. I apologize for that, <laughs> but he was wearing an actual baseball mitt that day, so I kind of had to make that glove bigger to uh, do it out. I don't have Photoshop. I'm using Canva here, people. I don't have even. I don't even have Pro Canva. So see that for what you will and what I can do for editing with that. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a phallic joke. There's a phallic joke you can make with that, but we're above that. We're just gonna make Mike Hunt jokes, or na- sorry, name redacted jokes, whatever. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He'll now be known on this podcast as Name Redacted for as long as we can remember to use that running gag. At any rate, we've been recording for a while. Let's wrap up this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 14 of the Diamond Duo podcast, the Hall of Fame extravaganza, or whatever name we decide to give it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in as Tony Echo twice or multiple times throughout this podcast. Please go follow, follow us on social media at the Diamond Duo podcast on Instagram, Diamond Duo pod on Twitter. Reach out to us. We'd love to have an open discussion with you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next time here on the Diamond Duo Podcast.